The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles. All fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. Thank you and welcome to the MCU Review. I'm John Clark, the host of Caffeinated Comics. Elliot Serrano can't be here today, but I stopped shaving so I can kind of look like him. Um, we have our resident expert behind the bar, our resident mixologist, Tom Jetner, goateed and ready to go in an old <laughs> Chicago bar. Yes, thank you very much. This is the bar in my parents' basement, basement somewhere on the northwest side of Chicago. So this looks like uh, pretty much any other bar you'd find that was built in the 1950s and largely unchanged since then. <laughs> and also with his characteristic baseball bobbleheads behind him, Dave Pinto is here drinking something red. Yeah. How's it and, going? and we're proud to welcome our first time guest. He's a Chicago White Sox commentator, and I have been told to say one of the hottest geek guys of 2014. And as we all know, that was the year Chris Pratt was in Guardians of the Galaxy. That was a hot year. It was. Thank you. Glad to be here. here. And, And we're all here to talk about Thor Ragnarok. This is the third film in the Thor series, a major departure for the franchise. Some would say a reboot. It is directed by Taika Waititi. It came out in November of 2017. It had three writers credited, Eric Pearson, Craig Kyle, and Christopher Yost. None of them are Taika Waititi, but you can pretty much tell his thumb is all over this scale. But uh, let's just get into it. We do our two-minute review. So each one of us, you get two minutes to say exactly what you think. And Connor, since you're our first-time guest, you get to take the first two minutes, and then the three of us can say, I was going to say that. All right, cool. Uh, So I liked this movie a lot when it came out. I remember sitting in the theater and feeling like I think Taika Waititi wanted me to feel. And I think that's his point through the whole movie, right? I mean, we spend this entire, I mean, literally the first half an hour of this kind of going through the script, feeling like someone was going, well, what if someone did this with an MCU movie? Then they do it. And then they pull the permission structure back, right? Like right at the beginning, we see Thor talking to the camera like the audience is part of the film. And then we get the reveal of the skeleton and the little hang down sort of thing. And it's like, oh, he's not talking to the camera, but he might as well have been. And then YTT goes on to do this in like other films and subsequently does kind of break this fourth wall and Deadpool the whole series, right? But I I think what's cool about this movie too is it it leads us into like a larger like an even larger MCU universe, right? And I think that's what, at at its core, that's what makes this whole franchise so successful is that each time you kind of pull the door open again, you see Doctor Strange kind of like setting things up. Like Odin's death reveals Hela, which gets you to Thanos, which is the Infinity War and the Endgame and all this other kind of stuff. So I, I think all those things did a really good job in this film. I have my minor quibbles with it. I was glad to see that the visual effects artists were actually paid because they were good in this movie as opposed to subsequent films. So that's a plus. Pro labor, that's a good thing. Um, and I, it's like, listen, I, it might be trite, but 
damn, is Chris Hemsworth likable. Just, I mean, come on, man. Throughout, like, good job. Good for you. Way to go, buddy. You did it again. All right, Dave. <laughs> the, yeah, this is, as you predicted, John, I'm going to be saying, oh, yeah, Connor stole the words right out of my mouth in a lot of these, these points. But, yeah, this is really um, – it's a really fun movie, and it and to your your kind of opening comments, John. It does kind of feel like like a soft reboot of the character. Obviously, it's not a reboot really of the the continuity in any way. But talk about sort of a, a one eighty as far as the whole tone of um, the Thor films up to this point. I mean, I would rank. We talked about this when we did the previous two. Uh, I, I think it's a, a pretty common opinion that the for certain the second one is one of the the lesser films in the whole series and i think you know the first one's even really not even that great either uh and a big part of that is just is they're so dull they're you know they're they don't have that that fun quality that um we come to expect maybe of, of films based on a lot of the other characters but this one is just it it just totally turns it on its head when you get a guy like Taika to direct it and kind of inject his sensibility and his, his sense of humor into it. And again, it's the same, essentially it's all the same characters, same actors and everything. Obviously they introduce a handful of, of pretty uh, significant new characters in this one, but you're not recasting anything. It's not like going from, you know, Sean Connery to Roger Moore or something when you're changing James Bond, it's, it's the same guy, but it's, you know, it's the way it's, it's written and you're finally sort of writing to Chris Hemsworth's strengths as a comedic actor, um, which I always forget if this came out before or after the, the all female Ghostbusters film. It's after. It's after. And he's totally like the, the, you know, the, the butt of all the jokes in that one. He's, he's, doofy character in that one but he is you know supposed to be funny and he pulls it off in that um as as a comic relief um and yeah they, they finally sort of wrote to that not that there's no humor in the first two thor films but it's just this one just has such a sort of refreshing tone especially coming off like the dark world and um you know I can't say enough about how great Jeff Goldblum is in this movie and uh just sort of the color palette and it's just this sort of visual visual delight. And I think, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but I think when we get to um, Love and Thunder, they try to sort of repeat this one, repeat the recipe for this one, the recipe for success, and it didn't quite work. It doesn't quite reach the same heights of this movie. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say this is one of the better ones. One of, it's certainly one of the more fun ones of the last, you know, five or 10 years. Yeah. Tom? Well, to uh, take a cue from uh, John and Elliot's recent Caffeinated Comics podcast, I'm going to try to emphasize the ex uh, examples over the hyperbole, even though there's a lot of hyperbole that can be made about this particular movie. Uh, so as, as Dave alluded to, there's the humor and the jokes, but it's not just that the humor and the jokes are there, but that they're really, really good, that the timing on this all lines up. Uh, and if I could cite a couple of examples of that that come right out of the gate. You've got the confrontation with uh, Surtur, voiced by the uh, immortal Clancy Brown. Uh, and, you know, the, the one little line, it's like, it's a crowd. You know, that it's somehow that always like that, like got me in the mood. And then when they do that whole 
after they do that whole little action sequence set to uh, Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin, maybe one of the better needle drops that I've ever heard in a movie, we get the, uh, the Bifrost opening in Asgard, the head coming of the dragon coming through and sliding slowly across the floor until it stops, and then the eye slowly rolls up to stare at the two women there, and then everyone runs away screaming. So that just the timing on that is just so good and it helps get you into the right mood and get you into the pace that is just um uh really really excellent and then we get to meet a whole bunch of new characters because this movie flips the traditional thor fish out of water script on its head of putting thor into a situation more cosmic and weird than he is uh, as explained by uh, our resident revolutionary Korg, who, if you hadn't noticed, is a gladiator leading a slave revolt who also happens to be dressed like uh, Kirk Douglas and Spartacus. <laughs> and he explains that uh, the only thing that makes sense is that nothing makes sense. Um, so uh, actually, if, if you don't mind, I can uh, get into today's drink since it is a kind of Korg theme. It's the uh, Mai Tai of Liberation. I've got my Hawaiian shirt. Got my Hawaiian shirt on. We, this is now a cooking segment. It's now a cooking segment. So I got my shaker tins. So if you're listening to this yeah. on the Captain Comments Audio Podcast, you won't be able to see Tom actually mix. That's why you need to be streaming it. It's a good <laughs> It's a good reason to go to our YouTube channel yes. and look at us on Twitch or on Facebook. Uh, we are broadcasting this live now. If you're listening to this on audio, you're too late, but you can check it out on YouTube. Yes. So just one dash of Angostura bitters. A half an ounce of homemade uh, orja almond syrup. This is why this is this has nuts in it. So this is a uh, allergy warning to anyone who has a a nut allergy. Uh, half an ounce of freshly squeezed lime juice. Half an ounce of blood orange juice which represents the blood of the struggle of the people. <laughs> Half an ounce of bitter grapefruit liqueur for the bitterness of our struggle to liberate ourselves. <laughs> there we go. One ounce of Clarin from Haiti. Because it was a successful revolt. They ever believe they also had a very successful revolt. They did. <laughs> yes. And one ounce of a strong, overproof, aged Jamaican rum. In this case, the always delightful Smith & Cross. That would be for Idris Elba's hair. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Jamaica actually did have a successful, fairly successful slave revolt in their own right. Uh, take a little bit of crushed ice. Shake briefly. Pour into glass. Fill the rest with more crushed ice. 
Brigham Mint. And you can use that spent lime wedge on top, just like that. Wow. Oh, hell yeah. And Tom, what are you calling this one? I'm calling this the Mai Tai of Liberation, or uh, hey, man, you say you want to have a revolution? Well, <laughs> we're having one, so why don't you come with? <laughs> and I can attest that this is just as delicious as it sounds. It's oh, Dave, not, you always get the drink. It's not just Tom uh, hyping things up. Well, if you want the recipe, we will post the recipe on the MCU Review channel. Sorry, and, there. Uh, and you know, Tom, your Instagram is probably a good time to let people know. Yes, this and all the cocktails related to the show and other cocktails are at Review Cocktails, all one word, R-E-V-U. Cocktails spelled the usual way on the Instagram app. And that uh, this current one is also linked on the MCU Review uh, Instagram page. So you can find it right there. That's fantastic. So getting back to the movie, um, I, I feel like I did my duty as a host. I gave you guys the fresh pint of ice cream. And now I will scrape the walls <laughs> to, to, to try to say something that you guys didn't cover. I agree with all of you. I think that um, Ghostbusters, the uh, female Ghostbusters, which I don't think is a bad film. It really got review bombed and then passed over when they rebooted it with Paul Rudd. But uh, the one thing it did was prove that Chris Hemsworth was funny. And then he was able to come back to Marvel and we're like, okay, we can make this a comedy. And it proved how likable Chris Hemsworth was, but this movie proves that Thor is likable. And I don't think I've ever felt that before this movie. You know, as uh, I started reading Marvel comics in the 80s, I never liked Thor. And even the classic Walt Simonson run, I respected it. I would see it, read it from time to time. My friends who read it would tell me what was happening. And then I bought the omnibus, but it was never high on my list. This, I remember sitting in the theater, not expecting much because I, had been to the other Thor films and certainly I wasn't going to skip an MCU film in the theater. And just that first line when he goes, Oh, Thor's stuck in a cave. I stood, I sat up and I was like, wait, this is going to be different. And watching it today, it strikes me how different it is, even than love and thunder. And obviously we'll do a show about love and thunder, but the, you mentioned the color palette, the color palette is so vibrant in this and love and thunder doesn't have that. Love and Thunder is very focused on being black and white, but it looks feels like a Zack Snyder movie at times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except it's fun. <laughs> yeah, more at least more so than a typical Zack. Yeah, I, I did not leave this movie with a sense of despair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Even though the post-credit scene is Thanos about to murder everyone, right? <laughs> I left lighter than I did Justice League. <laughs> no, I'm saying that the Love and Thunder visually is almost at times like a Zack Snyder. Oh yeah, and I left Love and Thunder lighter than Yeah, for sure. I mean, pretty much well, <laughs> But the, the color palette in this, I, the design in this, it's almost over-designed in a way. Like when you look in the background, especially of Sakaar, it's almost George Lucas levels. Every alien is a little different. Everyone's wearing a different wardrobe, everyone has a different mask. There's no uniformity to this. And it's like that takes forever to design. And th there's obviously a lot of Jack Kirby. In, in the design of this, um, a lot of his like technical circuit board drawings and circles and lines. But I felt like there was a lot of heavy metal magazine in this. This like Mobius kept popping up. And, and this story's a little more adult. It's a little more, uh, it's a little more gritty. And it kind of felt like they were pushing for that level. But now, uh, 
so out of us, um, how much familiarity did we ha- did you have with Thor going into this movie? Was it just the movies? Were you a big fan of the character, Connor? Yeah. So I, it's interesting you mentioned you know you kind of not liking Thor and then kind of getting back into him with um, with the, a run in the eighties. I my real push into Avengers comics was uh, don't, uh, you know, don't kick me. Uh, it's the ultimates run, you know, in like the 2000, 2001, 2002, whenever, whenever that was, that's when I was going to powerhouse and, you know, just going through five, six comics at a time and, and going through the, you know, like, Oh, did my comics come? It's Tuesday. Where are those at? Uh, and it's like, kid, it's nine in the morning. Get out of here. Um, but I, <laughs> Like that was, that was like, I remember reading through Ultimates and going, you know, cause Thor in that run is like this hippie. I think he's like literally saving the whales when Nick Fury comes to to recruit him for the yeah, Avengers. There's a question in that book of whether he's a God or just crazy. Yeah. And I think, on it. yes. And, and I think that was really coolly done in that particular book. I think they do settle on, like, it's just all technology. You got to take his belt because the belt makes him fly or whatever. It's wild. Like that whole run is, is really crazy. And there's some pluses and minuses to it. But I, I've always thought the MCU draws pretty heavily in terms of source material from that Ultimates run. There's a lot of things in there that to say nothing of the fact that they made Nick Fury who he is with that Ultimates run. And even in that Ultimates run, he's like, I would be Samuel L. Jackson if I were in a movie and then they just do it. <laughs> I, I think, you know, so that's my first experience with Thor. And I, I remember thinking when I saw that first movie, and maybe it's just because I'm like, a, I'm, a, I'm a Shakespeare, Kenneth Branagh guy or whatever. I remember watching that first Thor and going, damn, I wish you were cooler. Like I liked the movie and I, I thought it was nice. I wish he were cooler. Um, and I think they owe, I think Hemsworth owes too, a lot of his success to the fact that he's got Tom Hiddleston to be funny with. Cause like I, you know, for as much as we talked about love and thunder and I've only, I've only seen it once. So I, I couldn't really comment a ton on it. Um, but man, you know, you've got, you've got Loki as Odin. You've got the, like the funniest line in the movie is when he goes, Oh shit. Like it's just, that's hilarious. And that's not <laughs> even Tom Hiddleston. It's Hiddleston doing right. And it's, and you know Hiddleston was like, all right, I'll do this scene, and then Hopkins will do it after me, and then we'll do the, like you just know that's how it went. Uh, and I think they get a lot of a lot of mileage out of, you know, like like you said, Thor being a, a fish out of water, and yet over his head in this movie in a very very different way. So I, I thought that was very cool, and that's kind of it. Kind of brought me notes of that of that Ultimates run with Thor, even though he was very decidedly not fun. I mean, that whole Ultimates. Thing wasn't there was no fun in it except for Nick Fury. Yeah, it, it was crazy loud fun. But it, a, wasn't, it wasn't yeah. joyous in any way. No. To piggyback on something what Connor said is is that this is kind of the Taika Waititi approach. If you look at what we do in the shadows, he took something that was at the time you know, around 2014, 2012, 2013, a little more serious, and decided to make it well. Let's let's not treat that material quite so reverently as it's being treated. Let's, let's do a little tongue in cheek. Let's, let's have some more interplay with the audience and let's have some more, let's be more playful with it. And I could say this movie is, is not as uh, it's more uh, light and airy, even though it kills most of the cast of the first Thor movie within the first 20 minutes of the movie, (laughs) which is awesome that they do that. They just do Yeah, Taika realized that no one cared about the Warriors 3. I, I love that, that that you like 
the only thing missing from it is a Zachary Levi scene where he just screams Shazam on his way out <laughs> of the franchise. Like that's like, you know, just, I wish it's it were there. Universe. That's not even Zachary Levi in the first Thor. He no, was, it's not. They recast him or something. Yeah, I don't know. They recast yeah. him for Dark World and then gave him two seconds in this. There is definitely a, a sweeping of the stage in this film in a lot of ways. That, Connor, what you just said, when they remember John in the mid 90s, they did that DC versus Marvel thing? Oh, yeah. I would love to see a Chris Hemsworth Thor versus Zach Levi's shazam because that happened in the comic and just the charisma of those well there's such likable characters now on screen, but the charisma of those actors bouncing off one another if they were to somehow get the studios to work out to bring that storyline to the big screen that would be such a fun sequence were those the amalgam books or were yeah. those that, that, were that storyline led to the amalgam story. Yeah, it was, oh okay okay, 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 okay. marvel versus dc and then in, be, in between i think three and four they did the amalgam books which was you know, Dark Claw was Wolverine and Batman mashed together. My favorite was Doctor Strange Fate. <laughs> Super uh, Soldier was Cap and Superman. Yeah, there was, was some real fun books. X Patrol, <laughs> Spider Boy. There was some really really fun books. Iron Lantern was one. Iron Lantern, yeah. And oh, now wow. it's funny to look back and like see some of the mashups that or the the matchups that they did and how the popularity of some of those characters has really waned in like the. 25 years since then other characters become much more popular like i don't think they would have catwoman versus electra as one um but yeah it's just funny to look at that as like a little time capsule of, of what was popular at the time and it's such a time capsule because we know now it's never going to happen again yes that's for sure yeah. now that it's you know now that it's uh time warner and disney yeah they're not gonna they're not just going across midtown manhattan to make this work <laughs> But speaking of charisma, this movie is loaded with with scene stealers. Um, and it's from Taika Waititi himself playing Korg to Benedict Cumberbatch having a whole segment just kind of reintroducing Doctor Strange to the Marvel Universe. And I, I let's talk about that first because I was going to say Jeff Goldblum and that could be the rest of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, so, we'll get we'll uh, get to him. Yeah, so there's there it's kind of a clunky first act but it's so entertaining that you just skip over it I, I watching this i realized there is no reason for dr strange to be in this film the complication of them looking for odin is solved in two minutes it's like loki's like oh i know where odin is and then they go there and it's like oh he's not here and then they ask dr strange and dr strange goes he's over there and then you could cut yeah. that 10 minutes out but i think well, I, there's a great does anyone catch the uh ace ventura reference in there hmm there's an Ace Ventura. The the home where Odin has been deposited is Shady Acres, which is where uh, Ray Fickle yes. went for for treatment. And you know that that's a Ventura, Ace Ventura reference because the Shady Acres uh, facility is named after the director of Ace Ventura, Tom Shadyak. <laughs> that is awesome. I did not know that. That's fantastic. I did not know that. Yeah, I do know this is the only time Doctor Strange wears gloves. Well, so I was just going to, like, he's wearing gloves. So I feel like either Cumberbatch didn't want to sit through makeup to put his hand scars on, or some higher up was like, just throw Doctor Strange in there so we can get people interested. Like, to me, that's like 
they didn't they didn't want to put in the effort and they wanted the scene in there anyway. So I don't know. Gloves. Yeah. Put them in gloves. It's fine. Yeah, I think I think because the yellow gloves, I think they were trying to see like how f- close they could get it to the comic. Yeah. If you if you remember, Connor, that scene is also in Doctor Strange. Although it's really shot for some reason. I think Taika Waititi wanted to do his own take, but it's line for line. And he does have the gloves in in Doctor Strange. So I think they wanted to try it. Maybe maybe Benedict Cumberbatch wasn't comfortable with it. They look clunky, but you never see them again. They're not in Infinity War. They're certainly not in Multiverse of Madness. But but I do really like that scene because it's uh, Cumberbatch owns that character by his second time out. You know, that first film is all of his origin. It's him becoming that character. But he's so comfortable, just the way he treats Loki. You know, and maybe my favorite line in the film is, I have been falling for 30 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) And then just, okay, bye-bye. When he pulls a knife on him. It doesn't need to be in this movie at all, but it is as charming as everything else. That's an example of bringing the audience, it's like really bringing the audience in. And the other thing I think it does, and we'll, talk about this when we get to love and thunder is pace is it keeps the pace up is now we're jumping around we're to like all those like like i thought it was hilarious all those fast cuts where strange is going through the different books and he's like okay next and then Thor's in a different location he's like backed up against the wall because he doesn't know he's spilling his drink you know like it's just an example of what it's like it's literally doing in the scene what 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 TD is doing in the, to the audience in that moment, which is just kind of getting getting us back and forth to get us to a place where we can then have a, a discussion. Yeah, he's the, letting the characters play with each other the way he's playing them, and the Marvel universe is old enough now where it can relax a little bit. And but they haven't tried everything yet. So uh, yeah, speaking of scene stealers, now we get to Jeff Goldblum. My question <laughs> for everyone. Is when did we realize Jeff Goldblum was this big a weirdo? Because I feel like we've only been talking about it for five years, but since it's October, I've been just been binging horror movies. Thor Ragnarok was the only non-horror movie I've seen this month. And I watched The Fly again, which is 1986, and Jeff Goldblum is just as weird <laughs> in that movie, and no one mentioned it. When did Earth Girls Are Easy come out? Uh, around the same time, a little earlier, because they're both they both have Gina Davis in them, and that's when they were together. Mm. When uh, when Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou came out, that hit, and I remember going, "What what is happening here? Who why is this man doing all of these things?" So then I went down the Jeff Goldblum rabbit hole, and when you do, you don't. It's a very it's a very dark. It can be a very dark place, but you realize that he is just absolutely out there. And I like that he's playing essentially the same character that he plays in his apartments.com ads. Like I, I enjoy that well, I the grandmaster is essentially also going to pitch you an apartment that you cannot afford in a neighborhood you cannot find and does not have two and a half bathrooms like you put in the search field. My, my question for those commercials is why do they call him Brad Bellflower? Just call him <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. We think he's playing a part. Yeah, I think he's just, in many ways, in many roles, he's just playing himself. Yeah, and I... I, Very similar to Samuel L. Jackson. He just plays himself. And that's enough. People, he just can get by on that, and that's all people want. But I was thinking, is this like an Al Pacino thing where, like, he found his tics and he just amplified them over the years till his performances were all of his tics? (laughs) Or, uh, but now I realize it's just 
it's more like a Nicolas Cage where it's like, oh no, he's always crazy. <laughs> I don't know if any of you have seen Vampire's Kiss. Oh yeah, that's a that's a classic. That's like 1986, and he is 110% Nicolas Cage in that movie. <laughs> he screams the alphabet at his therapist <laughs> in a way that I need to post this on the Facebook page. We've all we've all been there. Listen, we've all. <laughs> I I think it's cool though, like the because we 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 want certain things out of our. Our, our movies in continuity, right? Like our spinoffs and our one-offs and all that other kind of stuff. Like we're cool with that. But this movie was a pretty serious, like move into end game sort of thing, right? Like we knew it needed to get us somewhere. It was very much a vehicle in the way that like Thor dark world was just kind of fluff. You know, it's like that one-off one shot episode. You know, like you're reading the comic book arc and then you get to like issue number seven and it's some other artist and they're teamed up with some random sidekick. And it's like, I don't know why all of a sudden this is anime art when I was reading Quesada earlier, but like, whatever, this is fine, cool, it's whatever. And then you just kind of go, this was not that. And yet Goldblum as a character very much is, and we all kind of accepted it. So I feel like, um, I feel like that's kind of a testament to, uh, to Taika, I, I, to Hemsworth, to everything else. Like. They were able to put that kind of one-shot feel into this movie and yet make it feel very acceptable. Like, at no point am I angry that I'm watching Jeff Goldblum in a Marvel movie, whereas I, I think for other characters in other spaces and times, I, I might have been. You know, I don't want to watch that guy do that thing. Like, bring me the, bring me the story, not the sideshow. And it's, it, it feels like you can do both in this movie. Remember, yeah. this started kind of almost as a one-shot because they released uh, Team Thor part one and two ahead of uh, 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 in conjunction with uh, Civil War. And that was shot by uh, what written and shot by Watiti mm -hmm. uh, as when they had just begun filming this movie. So this was a little that was like a little teaser. Like the one shot was almost kind of testing the waters a little bit. Is think anyone would be cool with this? You know, you you have you put Thor in Australia and have him, you know, interact with 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 Daryl is flatmate. That's right. And Daryl shows let's... up in Love and Thunder too, so he's yeah. absolutely canon. Let's let's see let's see how the audience reacts to this, and, and that was very well received. So, you know, that was that was a hint, and we know that it's Jeff Goldblum from the second because the silhouette during that whole introductory. Um, set to uh, uh, the theme from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Right. Yeah, and just the cut, that's probably the most striking cut is when Thor starts screaming and they just cut from the, the travel and all the special effects to just him in the room. And I noticed there's a few <laughs> cuts like that. Uh, Scourge is my stuff. It, it's almost like a, a Mercedes ad because he goes, behold, and then they cut and he walks into frame. There's a lot, there's a lot of just uh, jarring cuts that don't take a lot of special effects, but really shock you. And Connor, I think that's a great point is that this has a one shot, but it carries the continuity and makes me think that this is a very light movie, but it has real stakes. Yeah. You know, a lot happens and there's a lot, there's a lot that, that is threatened. I mean, we lose Asgard, you know, uh, Hulk's whole story. This is the best, this is the most Hulk I've ever seen in the MCU. This feels like an issue of Hulk as much as it. This is a better Hulk movie than the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say one thing that this movie, uh, I think, demonstrated to me is 
Because I, I've never found the Hulk to be a, a particularly interesting character, at least on film. And maybe that's just because the two solo Hulk movies that have been made so far have been not that great. Um, but Hulk can be great and can be effective and um, interesting in, in doses. And I think the way he's used in this, you know, sort of, especially all the scenes with um, Thor and Hulk, you know, bouncing off each other is, is showing that this, he can be a cool character. I'm not convinced yet that I really want to see a movie centered entirely around him, but he can be kind of an integral part of things if he's not like the, the, you know, the focal point of whatever the film is. And I thought he was used really effectively. And again, he's lightened up a little bit in this one because everything else around him is, is lighter. And I think, um, Mark Ruffalo's got some really funny lines in this one and, and he's got great chemistry in those scenes with, with Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. This is the first time that the Hulk has dialogue in the MCU. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The first time anyone sits and talks to the Hulk every appearance before this, even the non MCU Hulk, when he's Hulk, he's completely just enraged <laughs> and you can't sit down and talk. And I think that's one of the things that made it feel like the comic is that, he talks to Banner, but he's also just talking to Hulk. And I was like, yeah, that's what the Hulk sounds like. Hulk is, you know, monosyllabic and kind of a jerk. <laughs> now all I can think of is Nolte and Banner having a scene like Pacino and De Niro in Heat, like at the diner, and one's Abomination, and one's... <laughs> is he Abomination in the movie? I forget. Absorbing he was, Man. Absorbing Man. Absorbing Man. Absorbing Man. By biting a plug. <laughs> right. Yeah, like this, this really... Oh, like... There, you, you mentioned it, John, like, there are some pretty, like, Hopkins' death scene is legit here. Like, that's some scenery chewing, and it's kind of nice, and it's kind of, you know I mean? Like, it tugs at you a little bit. That's a that's a really good scene in the midst of all of this silliness. It's something that piggybacks on all the continuity, because it's the, it's the, it's the cherry on top of the, of the Thor-Loki-Odin relationship, that's been built up better in some places, worse in other places over the course of the previous two movies. So yeah, I think it's great for, for bringing that up. I mean, cheers off to Sir Anthony for selling that. Yeah. Also, yeah, we had, we haven't talked about Kate Blanchett who gets to we just have, absolutely the eat the scenery with Kate a knife Blanchett. and fork. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think Kate Blanchett is fantastic in this. Um, it doesn't help that I get Kate Blanchett confused with Tilda Swinton all the time. They were both in the MCU in the same year. <laughs> it's kind of harder to differentiate them. But but yeah, I mean, Kate Blanchett we know is someone with a lot of range. But I, this, this may be the first out-and-out villain that I think she's played. Hmm. This type of villain, certainly of the, the kind of larger-than-life, I mean... She's clearly having a larger than life character, but she's she's having a ton of fun doing this. A lot of her scenes are with Carl Urban. Yeah. God bless that man. Yeah. Carl Urban (laughs) is ubiquitous at this point. (laughs) He's our Christopher Lee. He's been in every franchise. Oh, (laughs) created a couple. We're we're, now we're going to go off on, on David going on Christopher Lee with man in the golden gun for for forever. Now, I, it's, I, I'll keep us on track because if okay. it starts to go to Man on the Golden Gun, I will reply with Fellowship of the Ring. Okay. And, and we will we'll, we'll somehow arc back toward, 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 uh, so um, 
how did you, how much did you guys know about the uh, the mythology of Ragnarok going into this because of the, the title the, the actual Norse myth anything no honestly just the Walt Simonson run of the comic and that that's something I was wondering uh Tom if you're well versed is Hela related to Odin because in in the comics she was just basically Mephisto in- so off offhand I know that Hela is uh hell is one of the um Norse deities. I don't know of her exactly. I believe she is one of the Aesir. She's not one of the Vanir. Um, as far as the relationship to Ragnarok proper, uh, we do get a good uh, Soot. Surtur is just the Marvel Comics version of the Norse deity Soot, which is where we get our word Soot. But, um, but the big connection to the mythology is the giant wolf uh Fenrir in in the original um if you go back to Snorri Snurluson uh who, who wrote down most of the the Norse sagas back in in Iceland in the 13th or 14th centuries and because Fenrir the giant I think Fenrir is the one who kills Thor in the actual Ragnarok uh poem in the in the actual Ragnarok, he kills either uh, Fenrir kills either Odin or Thor. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Which it's been a while since I've studied that. So when then when I see the giant wolf, the giant wolf of Ragnarok fighting the Incredible Hulk, set to Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin. Which is explicitly referencing the Viking mythology, the the tales, the sagas of the Vikings. It's like the only thing I was thinking of when watching it's like, this is the most metal thing I've ever seen on screen. You know, it's it's just like it's like primal. It's like, like I mean, it's for for setting a, even just a little bit of Norse mythology. The giant wolf of Ragnarok, Fenrir, the giant wolf of Ragnarok, is like such a huge deal in the mythology. And to see that, and then to see that with the the Hulk, just like probably one of the better Hulk fight scenes we've ever seen. It's just Hulk versus fighting something that's ten times his size um, is just fantastic. And going over the cliff, and it's just that everything about that is just like awesome. And then Hulk fi- follows that up by trying to fight Serger. <sighs> that's <laughs> right. When Serger is like Galactus sized. Yeah, it's like I said, it's it's the most pure Hulk, and um, the Hulk is still tied up in rights with Universal. They have a deal similar to Sony, where Disney cannot put out a Hulk movie. So, and but because unlike Spider Man, the Hulk movies haven't been big hits, where it's worth just getting the percentage from them. So they just let Hulk be a guest star in other things. So I don't know that we'll see a full Hulk movie. We can do a She Hulk because we've done that as a whole show. And had Hulk in it. But uh, I think you're right. Hulk is great in small doses. And this is just the right amount. Hmm. You know, and and maybe one of the best Hulk entrances ever when he jumps out of the ship. <laughs> and expecting to turn into the Hulk before he hits the bridge. And he just hits that bridge with his face. <laughs> I think I, there's, there's a thing about a, a Hulk... You know, movie, it's it's kind of the Superman corollary, right? Like, if you have this unkillable, totally overpowered, you know, then why have a bad guy? You know what I mean? Like, it's just like this whole, 
how do you match that up? And to that, you know, when you were talking about, when we were all talking about Kate Blanchett, like, I love that she is so ridiculously powerful as a character in this movie, right? I mean, like, the first thing she does is smash Mjolnir into bits, and it's like, oh, damn, we got a thing going on, right? So it's it's cool because not only do you get, you know, this, this unknown, super-powered, you know, over-the-top kind of villain for them to go fight. My grandmother used to say any movie is only good as it's baddie, and, and I think Blanchett gives you that in terms of both the acting and the power, but also you have something, like, legitimately for the Hulk to go do, right? Like you have something for him to go fight, whether it's this wolf or, you know, it, theoretically Blanchett, if he goes, takes down Sir and that whole thing. I, I dig that. I, I like that we raise the stakes in that kind of uh, fantastical way. Yeah, I, I, though I would argue that the biggest fight the Hulk faces in this movie is Thor. That's the center, the centerpiece of the film. It's true. Is, it's, is the only the one he, it's the only one he loses. Yeah, yeah. Well, although uh, Game Master cheats and he ends up winning because no, he's paralyzed. No, I, I won that fight easily, easily. Yeah, and that it's... that was pretty much the trailer. And again, that is taken from Planet Hulk, not a Thor story. So Marvel uh, did a, a fantastic job of going. Well, we're gonna have Hulk in it. Here's the best Hulk stuff. You know, uh, they made an animated Planet Hulk movie, and it didn't really sustain the story for seventy minutes. But to have it for 10 minutes within a Thor movie, this this movie is just the right amount of overstuffed, I think. Yeah, I remember hearing them talking about doing a Planet, Planet Hulk movie, and that was post-Ragnarok. My thought was, you already kind of did that in this one. So what, you know, what do you have? What's going to be the source material, the inspiration? For, you know, the, what's the plot going to focus on then? Yeah, Can I- not to jump ahead, but they're bringing in Planet Hulk plot lines into She-Hulk, and I don't know where they're going to go with that. Because yeah. there is no Hulk movie. Yeah. Can I ask a question for the group of the group? I was wondering this when I saw the first trailer for Ragnarok. And then when I saw the movie after the movie, and then today as I was watching it, do you think they should have put the, he's a friend from work reveal in the trailer? And if whether, why or why not, why did they put that in the trailer? Because that, like you guys said, that is the movie. Why the hell is it in the trailer? I think because it sells the movie. Okay. It's a great joke. And I think it puts such a stamp that this is not Dark World. You know? I, I, I agree with that. It's also not even the best joke in the movie. No, but it's a great one. And it was actually written by a Make-A-Wish kid. That's right. He was visiting the set that day and thought of it. And they said, yeah, let's put that in. <laughs> yeah, but th- that arena fight is where everything comes together. Pretty much every character that matters in this is has a central has a central role in that arena fight from Loki to Valkyrie, uh, who we haven't even gotten to yet. Tessa Thompson in this um, Valkyrie in the comics were kind of uh, interchangeable to me. There were a lot of Valkyries. There was a Valkyrie in the Defenders. Uh, certainly, they weren't um, you know a drunk <laughs> down on their luck. There's I the way Tessa Thompson plays drunk in this. <laughs> It's like she's she's getting the job done. She is a functioning alcoholic. What's the best? What's the best? Uh, best Valkyrie moment. We'll go around the table discuss best Valkyrie moment of this movie. Uh, I know exactly. My my call exactly is when uh, she and Bruce Banner are looking at each other, and he goes, "I think I know you." And she goes, "I think I know you too." <laughs> <Walk out. laughs> 
it's the right level of like camaraderie, drunkenness, and I don't care. Just wrapped up in one little little line. I think I that's what I always think of when I think of that character. The the one that hit me today as I was watching it is uh, you know, she they're they're all up in Hulk's studio apartment, which is just ironic. Why would the Hulk have a studio apartment? That's really funny. <laughs> um, but they're they're all in there and Thor has asked Hulk to bring her back up because he wants to recruit her as part of the team or whatever. And she says, you have until I finish this. And it's this massive decanter of liquor. You have until I finish this to, to make your pitch or whatever. And she tanks it in like no time flat. But the way they do the practical effect and the cuts make it really feel like she tanked this thing, like Belushi in Animal House. And I'm, it just, it hit me. It was like, oh, damn, that was, that was really well done. It looked really, it looked legit. Yeah, Connor stole mine. <laughs> right when he started. Oh wait, I know where this is going. <laughs> I think I think of my my favorite would be a combination of two. One is the the first time we see her coming out of the spaceship, and she like lifts the lid on the spaceship and she starts to walk down like you know like incredibly like all right you know super cool space chick coming out of the 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 spaceship and then she just falls over the side. <laughs> because she's been drinking while drinking and driving. And then the other one is when the, the super cool walk pays off at the very end. Uh, the immigrant song uh, scene on uh, on the rainbow bridge with the fireworks going off and behind. Um, you know, if we talked about a Zack Snyder moment, like that would kind of be it. Like that's like the slow-mo sequence, but unlike a Zack Snyder movie that actually pays off and is entertaining. <laughs> yeah. That's nine hours. <laughs> it's not nine hours long. It's exactly as long as it needs to be. And then we can cut to Loki killing guys with the horns. I don't know, maybe if we do it three more times. We'll get it right. <laughs> yeah. We'll chapterize it in the film. Chapter four <laughs> or explosion. Yeah. Immigrant song, by the, by the way, a song so expensive. They play it twice in this movie. <laughs> there is not a second Led Zeppelin song in this. We we, uh, we were talking about this preparing for the show. There are four Guns N' Roses songs in Love and Thunder. There's one Led Zeppelin song in this. I was thinking to myself, they for just before we get off topic for a moment, I was thinking that they should have just paid the money and done one play of Stairway to Heaven oh, in a movie where they actually visit the realm of the gods, like. <laughs> Play Stairway to Heaven and Immigrant Song, first track off of Led Zeppelin 3, Thor Ragnarok is the third Thor movie that would have been appropriate to play a track off of Led Zeppelin 4, otherwise known as Zoso or Runes, for the fourth Thor movie, but they missed that train, I guess. Yeah, I don't know that we'll ever see Stairway to Heaven in a movie. I know Jimmy Page won't let it happen. I don't know if maybe with age he'll soften. But there was a famous deleted scene in Almost Famous. Hmm. Uh, Cameron Crowe wrote an entire scene where when he's about to go on tour and he's trying to convince Francis McDormand to let him go, he's like, this is why. And he puts on Stairway and they listen to the entire seven minutes of Stairway in the living room. And on the first of all, they couldn't put it in the cut. But on the DVD, it's the song's not on it. It plays to silence and a caption comes up that says, Turn on your version of Stairway to Heaven now <laughs> because Jimmy Page is so protective. Immigrant Song is the only, uh, I think that's the way it appears in Almost Famous, but Immigrant Song is yeah. also in School of Rain Rock. Song is in, Rain Song is in Almost Famous too. Yeah. 
it'd be nice to get you know it'd be nice to get battle of evermore Mm, that, that, that would be a nice a cover one. of it in singles. I know it was on the single soundtrack. I don't know mm. that it made it to the movie where uh, like that would be Nancy Wilson from Hearts. Yeah. Maybe but that yeah. needs to go over the, the end hard. credits of Rings of Power or something like that. Yeah, but we were mentioning in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 when My Sweet Lord played, it's like, oh, Marvel has real money now. <laughs> you know, th these aren't one hit wonders from the 70s. This is George Harrison. Yeah. Well, that's I, John. I think you were about to say it. There's that whole. I don't know why. I, I just like last week randomly ran into that video of Jack Black begging Led Zeppelin to like immigrant song in School of Rock, and it's like this is a you know what is, what's School of Rock? O two. So it's like the height of Jack Black fame and respectability in terms of the rock scene. And Tenacious D is doing his thing. He's opening for Foo Fighters for God's sake, like on a nationwide tour. And he still has to beg for the immigrant song. Meanwhile, Marvel's like, let me break you off a couple million, Jimmy. Like, we'll get you all set. Let's have immigrant song. We know we can't come for Stairway, but let me get you a couple mil. Yeah, I don't I don't know if that's Marvel's pocketbooks or that's Jimmy Page just going, I'm not going to tour with Robert Plant again. <laughs> God, that's a, it's a great – God, that's a great song too. I mean, it's like like I remember re I rewatched the movie. And then we were kind of talking about it in preparation for the show. And I was just like, that's it. I've got to put on Zeppelin three as an album because that's just great from really highly underrated album. In my opinion is, is, is that it opens the third album and it opens the third movie. Uh, yeah. It worked. It, and it works so effectively for both scenes because the, the fight with the demons in Surger's realm is there's that great shot where we just follow the hammer around. And that's yeah. building up the hammer to be the coolest thing in the universe. So when it's or, destroyed, yeah. Or when we have no, it's, it's we don't get immigrant song over it, but we, but the imagery uh, of the 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 jet powered dragon. Mm -hmm. Like if we wanted to talk about like a 1970s heavy metal comic, like yeah, yeah. Also, the severed head is is very 1970s heavy yeah. metal comic. And those poor girls, I feel for some reason this rewatch, I just felt bad for them. And something I actually never noticed, those girls show up in the fight on the bridge. I was looking in the credits, I was like, oh my God, it's the two girls that that Scourge is hitting on. There's, I was like, oh, they have a little character arc. That's awesome. There's a lot of full circle in that too. There's, uh, if I, in the... In the play within a play scene, by the way, kudos to Sam Neill, the other Hemsworth, and Matt Damon, right? Uh, in the play within the play scene, he yells, get help. And then later on in the movie, oh. they do get help, right? So that's that's hysterical. That's right. So the play good. within the play, like, is is genuinely funny, right? And like the Matt Damon reveal is good. And I think like I said, I've only seen Love and Thunder. It's um oh gosh, who plays Hella in the play within the Melissa McCarthy. Yeah, thank you. It's totally blank. And they just I that's a bit that I could see recurring, you know, every five movies. That's a, that's a good little bit, but it's not too over. It's not overextended. Yeah. And and this also proves that the MCU is at the point where every A-lister wants to be in it. And I, I think the turning point was that was uh, Glenn Close and Guardians. Cause it's like, all right, Glenn Close is certainly not going to put on tights and fight somebody. And it was Robert Redford in Winter Soldier. Was yeah. Another, like yeah. the older actors wanted to be in it. Now, in the news this past week, we find that Harrison Ford is going to replace William Hurt as General Thunderbolt Ross. 
Is that why Elliot has the night off? Like, is that just he celebrating the news? Is it, is it a holy day for him? It's okay if it is. He's processing it. Yeah, he didn't get enough oxygen. He just tips back his hair. We actually added him to the stream and it was two feet. <laughs> I thought yeah, it was like after that was announced of his of Harrison Ford's casting, it's like critics are already calling it the most phoned in performance of all time. <laughs> Well, Harrison, Harrison Ford does does not care what you think of him, which I like. <laughs> I, I think it, uh, before Force Awakens, he was on Conan, and Conan really got him. So his performances on uh, Conan were always hilarious. And he's like, yeah, he's like, so uh, he goes, you might be in the next tours. That'd be nice. He goes, it'll be more than nice. <laughs> he just comes out and tells you, I'm doing this for the money. <laughs> Indiana Jones, he seems to not be doing it for the money, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah, he seems to be much more protective of that character. He could give a shit about anyone else playing Han Solo, though. Yeah, I often wonder, and not to take this too far off topic, but I often wonder if uh, he's disappointed that he's only had five. You know, I think that it seemed like the intention was to make it like Bond and do one every two years. Mm. And it's just... Mm between the three of them getting them to agree it was just decades would would pass yeah and Kate I, Cash, that doesn't help yeah and I, I i think that's another reason why the mcu is so special now is that you know it's like every month we get something new and the quality is still so high that you know uh, five or six years can go by between uh between sequels and we don't even notice because the franchise in its, of itself is so big and there's Nothing it can't touch at this point. Yeah. But speaking of things that you can touch, uh, here's the segment of what toys were made for Thor Ragnarok. Unfortunately, as I was getting ready, I could not find my Kate Blanchett figure who comes oh. with an extra hand that's cracking the, the hammer of Thor. But I did find my Carl Urban Scourge, mm. which is pretty great. This one was in a two-pack later after Thor Ragnarok. Um, Thor Ragnarok was one of those lines where it only made about uh, 315 million, so it wasn't a huge blockbuster. It wasn't an Avengers or Black Panther type movie. So when they when everyone ordered it, they were like, "All right, these these will just be Christmas." They flew off shelves, shot up in value, and they had to go back and make more of the characters that they missed. So, I, so I think my final question for everyone is: It's been five years since Thor Ragnarok. Uh, what do you think its legacy is, Connor? Um, I, you know, I, boy, it's the low hanging fruit. I, this changed the, this changed what is allowable as tone for, for an MCU movie. Right. I mean, I, you know, whether it's, you're talking about music, color palette or anything else. Well, I guess guardians really did a lot in terms of what the music can, can be and do and say in a, in an MCU movie, but like this, this changed tone. Um, and I think it, it, it came at some cost. I, I don't think this is a perfect movie. I don't think it's legacy is all of it for the better. Um, but I do think that in and of itself, this is a great way to do a one shot. And it's provided a lot of those, I, I think, kind of templates going forward, whether it's even just for, uh, the, uh, what do you, uh, the, what if, uh, uh, animated episodes that they've thrown on Disney plus and stuff like that. I think there's a lot of notes in there from this. Dave. Um, I think two legacy is, is there's two two parts of it that I want to bring up. The first one is kind of similar to what Connor said. Um, 
tone, but more specifically, um, sort of making Thor a much more likable character. And I, I think we all agreed from the outset that um, this is easily the best, certainly the best of the 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 first three, and almost certainly the the best of all four. Um, and just make you know shifting tone how much how far that can go just to you know having him look a completely different character in, in, in the audience's eyes and, and 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 then the other thing is in maybe this is just me being cynical but I think with the tone shift in this one there's almost like this need in not necessarily all the Marvel films but m many of the Marvel films since there's this like quirky humor in this one that's very Taika Waititi that I think they're trying to repeat in their humor and everything since. And you see a lot of that in, the, in the, the Disney Plus series, especially. And when it works, it works, but oftentimes it doesn't work. And it's just kind of grating and, and eye roll inducing. And um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I'll say it's it works in this one. And I think and again, it's, it's interesting because, again, you have the same director with Love and Thunder. They try to kind of capture that lightning in a bottle again in that film, and they didn't quite do it. I mean, it has there's there's parts of that movie that are really cool and that make it worth watching, but it's not it doesn't quite live up to this one. I think they're just trying to kind of repeat the same stuff and expecting the same success. And it, it's not it doesn't land quite as well. But and again, just kind of the, the bigger bigger picture i'm referring to the humor and how that sort of quirky is maybe not the best word to use but i think as i was saying that connor was shaking his head yes like he he knows what i'm talking about so that, that, uh, <laughs> you nailed it man like when i when i said it comes at a cost like that that's exactly the cost i was thinking of, man. I like, of this, when you said that phrase earlier in this episode i i yeah, I think we're on the same wavelength about that. It this movie cool. wasn't free. It, it just <laughs> wasn't. Tom? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and actually disagree with uh, both Dave and our honored guest on um, on that. Um, and by the way, I could stop the mark here at 58 minutes in that uh, Dave and I who are both two of the most diehard of the diehard White Sox fans that you will ever find in this city have not mentioned the Chicago White Sox in the entirety of the 58 minute podcast that we've been so streaming. So we're, we're we've almost managed done. to restrain ourselves. <laughs> you can do it. Pretty sure. Particularly after when we were on with Lawrence, I think we spent 10 minutes when we were on with Lawrence discussing civil war. And we, I think we spent 10 minutes on the uniforms alone. Uh, but, uh, so my disagreement is I don't know how much we can talk about Taika Waititi. And this is very much kind of taking in, in Taika, I mentioned earlier of the, in the, the realm of what we do in the shadows of taking something that had been fairly serious and kind of winking at it or flipping it a little bit on its head. But I don't know how much different that is from what the MCU was doing leading up to this. You know, we can look at Guardians of the Galaxy. We can look, we can even look at Captain America Winter Soldier of what was done in that movie and what the Russo brothers are consistently doing. Um, even in Civil War, the Russo brothers also coming out of the realm of comedy. They started as directors on community. So, but with this movie, I don't think it's a necessarily a question of what they were doing, but how they did it, because how they did it was exceptionally well. 
you can have a jokey movie or you can have a serious movie, but if the jokes land, that's different. This is a fairly serious movie. You know, all of Asgard becomes refugees at the end of this movie. Hmm. You know, in terms of thinking of the consequences, you know, a literal mythologized apocalypse happens. That's something. Um, but all of the humor that people remember the humor and people remember the tone because the humor is all exceptionally well placed. You get great timing of the jokes like get help of like the leading up in the L we have that heart to heart. And then in the elevator between Thor and Loki and then Thor and Loki, they said, well, let's do get help. And then now we get the lead up. It's like, Oh, we're going to go, we're going to do this whole Laurel and Hardy bit between Thor and Loki about get help. And then finally we get to see it. And it's this this bit and it's gone, but the joke the lead up and then the punchline is so good. So and all the running gags with Korg. I haven't talked enough about Korg, even though he's my favorite character in this movie. Um, but all of that is just great. And everything just lands in terms of setup, punchline, denouement. You know, it's it's seeing someone at the height of their powers do their tight 10 on Johnny Carson. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, it's a matter of style more than it's a matter of tone. Um, because you're right, there's been humor in it since Iron Man, but uh, John Favreau's style of humor is very different from James Gunn's style of humor, which is very different yeah. from uh, the Russo brothers, which is oh. very different from Taika. Yes. There's a gentleness in, yes. in the New Zealand voice that I think is new. And I think that's the, the legacy of this film. I mean, Did I you did you ever see the interview with Tycho when he was describing how what he based Korg on? Yes. Now he says he's based Korg on, there's a great interview with him, and he says he based Korg on the slew of uh, nightclub bouncers in New Zealand who are these giant Polynesian, uh, you know, Olin Krutz guys, but who have very uh, uh, subdued, very sweet voices. <laughs> and so just, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of full up tonight, mate. Uh, you know, it's not your night. Maybe you'd like to try again another night. <laughs> and, and how these these very just like giant men have these very kind of like sweet voices and how they end up breaking a lot of legs. <laughs> so it's just it was, a, it was a great of of uh, of sweet, but also menacing <laughs> in, in Korg. And I mentioned earlier the Spartacus reference. If anyone didn't miss that. But yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would say the legacy of this is Taika himself. And this is this is becoming more and more known as one of the, the best Marvel films. But I think this takes Taika from somebody who had done episodes of Flight of the Concords and indie films. Um, I know what we do in the shadows. I read an article and went to Netflix and rented the disc to find it. It, it took effort to watch that movie. Uh, this put him on a grand scale. And this made him an industry which we... I know we've been throwing shots at Love and Thunder, but he followed this up with Jojo Rabbit, which is simply a masterpiece. And he's become this cottage industry of, of shows like Wellington Paranormal and what we do in the shadows, the series and Reservation Dogs. He's putting out a lot of great content into the world. None of that would have happened without this film. Is he supposed to be doing a Star Wars film as well? Everybody's doing a Star Wars film at this <laughs> point. <laughs> they said Damien Lindelof's working on something. I think they're just taking pitches. Yeah. But... Uh, We'll see right now. I mean, this could turn into a Star Wars podcast on a dime, but it seems like right now they've they've put all their coins in the TV bucket. 
Mm. Seems like Star Wars is all about Disney Plus, and then we probably won't get a real announcement for a couple of years. Yeah. But if you'd like to hear more about this thank you susan reed for checking in with us thank you guys for watching as always um if you want to get an archive of this we have a youtube channel this will also be part of the caffeinated comics audio feed which will be its own episode but gentlemen how can we find you all online connor uh you can find me on twitter uh at c1 mcknight i have an instagram too i think it's cg mc1 or something i gotta get a better handle on the social media game i just Right now, I just kind of go to baseball games and tell people what I see. Uh, but at C1 McKnight, that's the Twitter handle, and you can find me there most. Uh, at ESPN 1000, too. I'll be hosting a couple of shows. I think I'm going to review this uh, this Bears massacre on Wednesday morning with David Kaplan. So They're I'm winning. Gonna, are they really? I have it on pause. You spoil They're winning. Uh, I'm not going to – okay, if you have it on pause, I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, no, I, I got it on pause because I got to suffer through both this game and David Kaplan on Wednesday morning. But uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll be, it'll, be, it'll be fine. All right, Tom. Uh, you can find the uh, Mai Tai of Liberation and all of the other drinks related to this podcast, uh, like uh, the On Your Left and the Father and Son on Review Cocktails, R-E-V-U Cocktails, on in the uh, Instagram app. And occasionally I will paste post a non-MCU-related cocktail, like if I want to share my preferred martini recipe or uh, the Ancient Mar I posted the Ancient Mariner, which is a great cocktail um, in response to Namor coming into the MCU. Um, so, uh, yeah, and we'll talk about Black Panther next time. But, uh, yeah, then you'll find the next, the Black Panther cocktail. I've talked to Dave about it uh, a little bit. I've got some ideas for that coming up, but uh, hopefully that's good and not bad and speaking of dave dave how do we find you i am on instagram at pinto underscore noir yeah and next next our next episode will be black panther which is another huge one there'll be a lot to cover there and it'll be right in the shadow of wakanda forever coming out um of course you can follow this show uh you can follow us on youtube you can follow us on facebook um, and like, and subscribe to us on Facebook, on YouTube. I haven't been able to say that yet. Uh, as my nine-year-old told, told me his newest joke, why doesn't the Hulk go on YouTube? Because he always smashes the like button. <laughs> I was just proud. Cause I, I didn't, I couldn't guess that punchline, <laughs> but you can follow me at not in my book on Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow the caffeinated comic show anywhere you get podcasts. And the MCU review is a integral part of that. But gentlemen, thank you so much for sharing your time to uh, speak about this film with me. I'm sure Elliot will be proud of the work you have done in his absence. But for Connor McKnight, Tom Jetner, and Dave Pinto, thank you all for watching the MCU Review, and we will see you soon with Black Panther. Good night, everybody.